Well, certainly uh, give thanks to the Lord that we can be here today. I understand that there's some kind of a special meal happening later today. Do I detect that? Food. And just before we get food, uh, hopefully uh, we'll get into the food that would uh, build us up spiritually. Can you imagine going into the most prominent, beautiful, historical, renowned building in town, thousands of people there, and just turning it upside down, turning it into a shambles, and then walking out of there untouched, and then realizing that everybody in town knows about you. They know about that entrance. The word has gotten around. And especially the owners of that building. And so, you have the courage to show up the next day at the same place where there was a shambles made. And people are waiting for you, namely the owners. And you show up, you show up with throngs of people around you. And as you are doing that, you're actually teaching them as you're walking around this place. The very place that you tore up the day before. Now, that'd be hard to imagine, wouldn't it? That somebody would even get, a, you know, uh, I guess, away with that. But this one person we know is Jesus Christ, who came to the temple and saw the mess that it was. It was a marketing place. It was a place of displays where people could make money off of other people. This was the cultural highlight of the city. This was really the uh, the place. And the thing is, as Jesus left that place and then came back the next day, seen by thousands at that previous day, and then now thousands are still hanging around Him, and there are those owners, or really the leaders of the religion of that time, they come up right to Him, face to face. They are the authorities, or so they think. And they're steaming mad. And they're yelling, What right do you have to do what you did yesterday? Who do you think you are? You can imagine that. Well, this is where we're at today now. This has actually been a few weeks ago that we talked about that. Since then, we had the fig tree and the cursing of it and then the deal with prayer. And that's where we left off last week. Now we come back the next day. It's one day later after he's cleaned that temple out. And there's a confrontation. And it's a confrontation between the one who has invaded and rocked this Jewish world. And he is unwelcome by the established leadership of all of Israel. And they are the ones who represent the very authority of what the religion of the day is about. They think they are the authority. And they prided themselves in that. The authority that they had. They didn't want to lose any of that authority, you see. They thought they had everything under control. And Jesus comes into this place, and of course this is the whole Passover week, the way He entered it on the foal of a donkey, then coming into that temple the next day and doing what He did. And things are not going the way that the established authority wants. Can you imagine how angry they are? This is the biggest thorn in the flesh that they've had for the past three and a half years. And here He is doing these kind of things. And He did it once before. In John 2, it records uh, like three years earlier he came into the temple and did that. He had challenged the very authority. What do they do with him? Well, they love to embarrass him in front of all the people because he has a big following. And they would also love to kill him, to get rid of him. That's their plan. He was a threat to their whole power base that they had laid out. Everything was comfortable before that. So he has to be dealt with. And what's incredible is that what we're talking about today is a matter of authority. Does the religion of that day have the authority? Or does Jesus Christ 
king of the universe, the ruler of the world, have authority? Which one has it? This is a quite a match that they have, and it's really no match at all by the time we get done with this. Uh, he is in total, absolute control of this whole situation. The timing, everything that he's doing is right on schedule. He's doing what he wants to do. He's calling the shots, isn't he? Even though it seems like he's going to be the one that's arrested and, and uh, put on trial and mocked and spitted upon and, and crucified. Um, what they want to do to do all these things are to trap him. And he's going to use these traps, these so-called traps, which they've done before many times and they've lost every battle. Why do they think they're going to win this time? They can't do it. And he uses his great wisdom. The wisdom of Christ. Isn't that really what we all would like to be able to respond like Christ does? Of course, He's given us His Spirit to do that. But whenever He responds in the way that He does, He makes these guys look like bumbling fools because they do not want to believe Him at all. He's the ruler of the entire universe. And the question is not, who do you think you are? But it's, who do they think they are? Who are they? He is the authority. He is the power. And today, He has that same authority and power. Now that word authority, the word is exousia in the original language, in the Greek. It simply means freedom to act to have the liberty to act upon anything at any time, to have the right. So he doesn't have that right. Or, hey, I have the right to do this, right? That's, that's the idea of authority. He has the right. He can exercise His will in whatever the way that He wants. He is the one with free will, isn't it? He's the one that has free will. He determines. He decides. That's authority. And if anybody has ever walked on this planet with authority, it's really been Him. He's the one. He's our captain. Aren't you proud of this captain? Yeah. We're thankful for Him, aren't we? In Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus said that. It's quite a statement. Can you imagine somebody just walking down the street saying, I have all authority in Jeff City. (laughs) The rest of the world. Paul said that he is far above all authority. Far above all authority. They're amazed. They're amazed at his teaching. They're astonished. How many times have we seen that in the book of Mark? His teaching, His doctrine. He has authority over all of that. He has authority over the demons. He has authority over all diseases. He has authority over death. Now, that's incredible. How far do you want to go? He has authority over His own life, even allowed to be taken, and then to be taken back again. He can allow them to kill Him and then to rise again. He has the authority to save. And He has the authority to judge. Now that's authority. Let's uh, stand and honor God's Word and let's read that this morning and see what I am trying to talk about. Maybe the Word will make it more clear. right? Mark 11, verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem and as He was walking in the temple... The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. 
they began reasoning among them, among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. Help us today to glean from these passages what you have for each one of us and that we can learn better what your authority is, being king and lord over our lives, that we be subjects desiring to be obedient and uh, following you. In your Son's name, Amen. You can be seated. In Jesus' authoritative name, right? Well, we start off in verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem, and as He was walking in the temple, you remember that every day He goes into the city, then He leaves the city, spends the night at Bethany with um, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, who He had raised back a few months earlier. Quite a living witness, right? Well, you know what the Pharisees wanted to do with him. They wanted to kill uh, him who had been raised. Kind of a resuscitation, I guess you could say, for Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And so now it's the next day. It's time to go back into the city. And the temple is uh, a major focus here. This is an amazing edifice. This is almost like kind of a wonder of the world. It uh, it takes up many acres, beautiful place, all the marble, the gold, the courtyards, the beautiful columns, the colonnades, the walkways, just absolutely beautiful place. On uh, on the east side, you have this uh, Solomon's porch. In the book of Acts, you'll see Solomon's porch mentioned. Um, there you have just a, an arcade that's just magnificent. You have these Corinthian Greek columns that stand 35 feet high. Quite incredible look. On the south side, uh, splendid as well, maybe even more, has four rows of white marble columns that are six feet in diameter. That's like kind of like uh, the height of me. Put that, Lay that out and that's how wide these things are. Marble. And they're standing 30 feet high. Um, an incredible place. There were 62 of those standing in their white marble columns. So the rabbis and the teachers would often gather there. This was uh, uh, quite frequently. They would uh, be walking through this temple, and as they walked through, they'd be teaching. There would be people following them. Rabbis have followers. Jesus is the rabbi, and he certainly has followers. There are many At this time, we don't know, but I'd venture to say at least hundreds, maybe thousands. That's how many many this place can hold, thousands and thousands and thousands. And so he's strolling through there, walking. You can imagine the the place. uh, It is a beautiful place. Uh, All these colonnades and the porches and the courtyards. And uh, for once, this is his temple. On this day, he owns this temple. He really owns it all anyway, doesn't he? He always has. It's always his. Everything owns is owned by God. But uh, this is his classroom today. He's at the temple and he's teaching. This is his classroom. He, this is his pulpit. And he's in charge. He's doing what he wants. And the truth is ringing out louder than it ever has. Because Christ is there. He's teaching as he's walking through, going through the porticos. If you look at Matthew, the... Uh, one of the Gospels that goes right along with our Mark passage in uh, chapter 21, verse 23. Sounds very similar. When he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching. Aha, there we go. You can say, well, where did you get that word that he was teaching? Well, there it is right there. It's in another Gospel. It just gives us a little more depth. So when you're reading the Gospel, sometimes it's really good to kind of harmonize them if you can especially if you happen to be studying a particular passage, grab a, you know one of your... Uh, uh, well, you can just grab your, your own Bible or have another Bible sitting there and you can have them all lined up or buy one great big old thick Bible. It's about like that and has all four Gospels together. And they're called the Harmony of the Gospels. And they're side by side with each other. So it's helpful in, as you read through there. 
helps in study. Look in uh, Luke 19. Look at his account here too. 1947. God's Word is magnificent as we go through this, isn't it? Don't take it for granted, folks. We had it right before us. And he's teaching daily in the temple. Every day. That's what he's doing. He went to the temple and he taught there. And he would walk through. The chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they couldn't find anything that they might do for all the people were hanging on to every word he said. There's the problem. There's too many people around him that really like him. Otherwise, they'd have the temple police there. They would have had him and they would have took him in. Well, not necessarily. Uh, if he doesn't want to be arrested at that time, he will not. He will be arrested when he says it's perfect and it's right. And that's the way it goes. God is uh, absolutely in authority, isn't he? Aren't you glad? Matter of fact, in Luke 20, verse 1, were you still there? In Luke, I, I turned back. Luke 20, verse 1. On one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. He's teaching and preaching. Very similar. They go hand in hand. Preaching the gospel is proclaiming with authority the gospel or the good news and all the things that go with the gospel. So that's what he's doing. He's uh, teaching, preaching the gospel. I wonder what he's preaching. Well, I don't think I'd be too wrong in saying I think he probably is talking about the wretchedness of sin of mankind, how sinful man is. The hypocritical religion of the day, it was certainly hypocrisy, wasn't it? Judgment, hell, eternal life, peace, grace, what true righteousness is, where it comes from, false prayers, the vain repetitions. He's stated things like that before, hasn't he? False humility, spiritual pride. That's what's going on at that place. And he's talking also about the true word of the living God. Honesty. Discipleship. The cost of discipleship. Forget yourselves, take up the cross and follow me. Now he's been saying those things for the last three and a half years, hasn't he? So there he is at the temple. Why wouldn't he be preaching that same kind of thing? Eternal glory. Kingdom. Heaven. The narrow way to this kingdom. He's talked about that too, hasn't he? The temple was the broad way. It should have been the narrow way, but it was the broad way into what? Destruction. Jesus has spoken about that. Can you imagine how captivating this must have been to people who wanted to hear His truth? So as they're at the temple, they can't wait till He shows up and they start following Him there. But the religious leaders, they've gotten word. I don't know how long He's been there. Probably not very long. This is the day after He's done what He's done in the temple. Here they come. And in our passage in Mark... He's walking in the temple. We know He's teaching. He's preaching, right? we got all that together. And now we have three groups. The chief priest, the scribes, the elders. Here they come. By the way, they're not just kind of walking up there gently. Because the word there that says they came to Him in the book of Luke 20, verse 1. We just read that just a moment ago. He uses the word they came to Him but a little bit different word, ephistomy. And it means attack. They didn't just gently come. They came to attack Him. They're going to attack Him verbally. They're angry. Remember, they're mad. So they came after Him. That's the idea. You ever heard of anybody saying, man, they went right after them. That's what's going on. And I'm sure they went there very hurriedly. Quite a commotion is happening as they're coming up to Him. And uh, then we get into where they start questioning him. 7 verse 28, they began saying to him, the, the, the sentence is that they kept on saying this. They, they said it, and they, you know, you can imagine a bunch of them together. These are three groups. Three groups. Uh, they're, they're from the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is the Supreme Court. 
We're talking about the authority of the land. Nobody higher than them. The authority. Supreme Court. The Sanhedrin. All three of these are part of that. So I'm sure it is a, a deputation from the Sanhedrin for those guys to go and make sure that you get him somehow, make him stumble up in his words, make him blaspheme. That's the idea. They want him to blaspheme. You know what they want him to do? They want him to say, I am God. I have the authority from God Himself. And boom, immediately, they would have put the arrest on him. That's what they want him to say. So they're questioning God. They get upset. Things don't go their way. People sometimes question God. They question God. It's one thing to ask God about things and we don't understand. There's another thing to start questioning His nature and really who He really is. What right do you have to do with me, God? The moment we get into that realm, we're in dangerous territory because we should know who God is and we realize that everything that He does is good for His children. And I am convinced by the word that he's not going to do anything bad to harm me. But I, I can also say, God, I, I don't understand what's going on here. I, this is difficult. I, I don't get it. I know you do, and, and this you're going to work through this purpose and this plan. But um, anyway, Lord, there, there's things about in that kind of question is okay. This is questioning the very nature of God, of Christ, leaders seriously, are in terrible jeopardy. They're saying, what you just did, you can't do. They're telling this to God. (laughs) Hasn't He already shown enough that He is supernatural? He says, if you don't believe me, look at the works that I've done. They've seen it. They saw Him cast out demons. They saw Him heal the blind. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. What convincing evidence do they need? Some kind of a one-trick pony show? Drawing a star down from the sky or something? I mean, what, what do you want? He wasn't going to do that for them anyway. That's kind of what they'd ask him already. They just wanted to see some kind of show. It wouldn't have made any difference. And they're saying, you just can't do this. You can't walk in here in this place and do what you did. And what they're doing is they're put Jesus, they want to put Jesus into a dilemma where no matter what he answers, he's in trouble. It's funny, he turns the table. So if they get him to say what he has really said, I and the Father are one. John 10. You know when he says that, don't you? You know where he's talked about, I am the good shepherd and such. And then he goes and says, I protect my sheep. I know my sheep and they know me. Then he said, but you are not of my sheep. These are words of Jesus. And you don't know me. Really, he doesn't know them intimately. And then he says, I and the Father are one. We're equal to the Jew. That meant, he said, I'm God. I have the same authority that God has. We are in absolute unity. So there are many other verses that show, prove that He was. But uh, yes, he, he did make that claim. And uh, He's equal with God. That's what they want Him to say again here. They want that answer. They want Him to say, My authority comes from God. And then immediately they can get Him for blasphemy. Do you see what they're trying to do? They think that's what it is. If we ask Him the question, He has to tell us the truth, He'll give us the truth, and then we'll take Him in. No, this is not the day. It will be, but this is not the day. What they're saying, what authority are you doing these things? We have the authority. Isn't that really what they're saying? You can't come into our place and do what you did. These are the ones. These elders, these scribes, the priests, they have their credentials. They all have been well educated. They have been to seminary. They know the law. They know all about everything. They have the answer, don't they? They have their degrees. 
You know, they have their accolades, all their rewards, all the awards, the Supreme Court of Israel. This is who this is. This is rather daunting. Man-made accolades. A special education. Jesus didn't have that same kind of education. He didn't have to go to be taught by men, did He? As far as they were concerned, though, He didn't have any credentials at all. It didn't mean what He had taught, which amazed people. It didn't matter what He did in His miracles. They didn't expect Him to give any rabbinical credentials because He doesn't have them on paper. So this certainly means as they say, by what authority are you doing these things? I think, first of all, it would mean what he did the day before. And anything else that he's doing. Teaching in the temple and all the other things that's happening. And healing people. Well, they want an answer. You can see why they want him to say the thing, what they want to hear. You know what? The leaders are victims of their own inventions. There's a guy by the name of Robert Watson. We have a lot to be thankful for to this guy because uh, (laughs) if you drive down the road and you see radar guns, radar machines, he's the one that invented that to keep all those speeders from speeding, right? They, They get caught by these radar machines. Well, guess what? One day, he happened to be speeding along the highway in Canada and he happened to be caught by his own machine. The victim of his own invention. And so it goes here. They've invented something they think that they've got him now. People always think they have the right things and they are wiser than God. Here's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus said to them. The Word of God right here, right? This is Jesus speaking. I'll ask you one question. And you answer me. Uh, Interesting, he says that and then he comes right back at the end of it and he says, answer me. Then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Jesus counters with a question. I think that is very good. Matter of fact, that's what a good rabbi would do. When people would ask them questions, you know what they would do? They would fire right back with a question for them. So sometimes when you're in a hot spot, somebody asks you a question. Yeah, certainly you, you want to get to an answer if you have it, but a lot of times to get them thinking or uh, you know, if they're trying to catch you in something, it's good to ask a question to them. Or is, is this what you mean? What did you mean by that? Because it may sound like an attack, and it may not be. So you want to get it clarified. Maybe it's something very legitimate. They want to know something about you. And rather than trying to get in on your personal business, they just want to know. And you say, well, is this what you mean? Is this what you mean? And they explain. They say, oh, okay, yeah, good. All right, yeah, well, I'll tell you. Um, if you. If you answer my question, I'll answer you. That's pretty fair, isn't it? Okay, they sure. And he brings up John the Baptist. John the Baptist is already gone. He's been killed. John the Baptist was the very forerunner of the Messiah, wasn't he? You remember he was one who was before the Messiah, the Christ. So he uh, uses him. And we know that he's the greatest prophet who ever lived. Christ. He's the greatest of men born of women, as Jesus said. And so, uh, when he speaks of the baptism of John, he's taking the whole just the whole ministry of John the Baptist. The baptism of John. He's not just talking about just dunking them in water. He's talking about the whole ministry of what John the Baptist was about. What did John the Baptist do? He preached repentance Repentance of sin. And to symbolize that repentance that you have as you're getting ready for the Messiah to come is that I'll put you into the water and you come out 
And it shows you have desired to repent and you are ready for the Messiah to come. It's preparation. He preached that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what John the Baptist preached. And you remember, these, some of these same religious leaders probably went to John the Baptist, or they did. Some of them did go to him and ask him what he's doing. Matter of fact, they talked about his authority. Why did he have all these thousands of people coming to him out in the wilderness that was a dry place, that was a hot place, it was not comfortable where he was at, and he really wasn't that comfortable to look at himself, and what he ate wasn't too comfortable either. He's, you know, I mean, the whole thing is not comfortable, but they're all just running to him, and they're being baptized. And so he's not favorable either to the leaders. They didn't know what to do with him because he had too many people following him. And, uh, you know, they ask him all their questions. But this outward symbol is what's happening inwardly. And he preached repentance and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. The Messiah is, is, is here. He's right at the doorstep. That was his ministry. He's preparing the people for the arrival of the Messiah. Look in Luke 7, 28 and 29. I say to you, look at verse 21. This is the one, as he's speaking about this prophet, about whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. That uh, actually came out of Malachi hundreds of years ago. 400 years ago. And here it is. Happening before their eyes. Jesus saying this, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he... That's amazing. Well, John the Baptist played a key role in the Messiah. This really concerned the leaders. People were gathering, going out of the way. The question is, is Jesus is saying, okay, did John invent this? Did he come up with his own invention here or did it come from God? Where do prophets come from? God. They knew that. They knew that. He says, answer me. It was either of men or it's of God. And John the Baptist spoke about the Messiah. So if you admit that what John the Baptist says is right, then you're saying also that Jesus is the Messiah. I can't say that. If they say the ministry of God is not from God, it's from men. If John the Baptist's ministry is from men, and they say that, what's going to happen? You're going to have a war. You're not going to survive because there are too many people that admire John the Baptist. They were all around. So... When you have John the Baptist, who's a real prophet, and you have Jesus, it's a, it's a package deal. You can't take John without Jesus. Whatever John said was true. Now, he's just a man. We know that. But yet at the same time, he spoke about the Messiah. And the Pharisees and the scribes rejected that. And they rejected God's purpose. And they didn't get baptized by John the Baptist. They didn't repent. So now here's the dilemma. They have a real big problem with what they thought and what looked like they have Him. And these are the elite thinkers. These, this is the think tank of all of Israel, folks. This is the best that they have to offer. The education of these lawyers. And they've got it together. And Jesus does this, now they got a problem. Oh no. They're smart enough to realize we just got in a trap. We set the trap and we are in it. Jesus nails them and he says, Answer me. Don't you like this, Jesus? Do you know what? He's on our side. We're on his side. 
folks, we are winners. <laughs> we are on the right side if we trust in Jesus Christ as being our Messiah. I'd hate to be on the other side. I'd hate to be in this trap. Look at here. Verse 31. That's right, we're at verse 31 already, folks. I knew the food would move me on. <laughs> they began reasoning. That means they're doing a lot of reasoning. They keep on reasoning. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, then why didn't you believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. <laughs> Dia logizomai. Dia logizomai. Logos. I am the Word, Jesus says. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, right? The law. Logos is the very divine reasoning. It's a reasoning, the mental faculties. The Logos is a Greek word that was used in the New Testament to transfer over to the very Word, the very Word of God, the divine reasoning. Dialogizomai, dia. Dialogue. You see where dialogue comes from? Dialogue is a my. Dialogue. Dialogue. Debating. They're reasoning. They're debating. They're in a huddle. This is this is a huddle. An unholy huddle. You know, you, you think of football, you know, and every play they get together, you know, a lot of times they don't even get together anymore. They just you know, just say something or do something with their hands and boom, they're ready to go into the next play. Uh, but those huddles is where they're getting at, okay, here's what we got to do. Uh, guys, I don't know <laughs> if you caught what he just did, but I wasn't expecting this. Okay, if we say this, here's what's going to If we say this, and he gave us only two choices, and there are only two choices, aren't there? If we say from heaven, he'll say, then why don't you believe him when he said, I am the Messiah? If you come from heaven, then everything he says has got to be right, right? We can't say that. We cannot say that. We can't say it. We're dead. <laughs> but if we say from men, which is what they would like to say, you have all these people around here, they don't have a chance. <laughs> they can't say that because people really knew that uh, John the Baptist was a prophet sent from God. What? If you say that John the Baptist is not a prophet of God, you're a blasphemer. You're blaspheming by discrediting a true prophet of God and there will be a mob reaction and they'll stone us to death. Or because everyone considered John to have been a true prophet. Trapped. Look in Luke 20, verse 6. It helps us out a little bit on that. Luke 20, verse 6. Oh, the Word of God. It is inerrant. It's complete. It's authoritative. It's sufficient. It's effective. It's determinative. Luke 20, verse 6 says, But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death. We're dead men if we say that John the Baptist is not from God. They're convinced that John was a prophet. Verse 7, so they answered that they did not know where it came from. Oh boy, the fear because of the people. They're stuck. If they say John's ministry is from God, then they have to embrace Jesus, don't they? They can't do that. And they don't want to get killed by the people that know about John the Baptist. There's only one answer they can give. They can either just split, take on out of there and don't say anything, which often they did. <laughs> now they say something really wise. And in one sense, I guess it's true because they don't know anything. They don't know the Messiah, the very one that they talk about in their law, in their Pentateuch, and through their Scriptures. 
And they don't even know their own word that they were supposed to be the lawyers of. We do not know. Never did they have any interest in the truth in dealing with Jesus. Never. And this is the way of false religion. Their religion is not about Christ. They may use that name, but it's not really about who that person is. And Mark has certainly given us plenty of information about the person of Christ and His calling to us, hasn't He? The evidence is all right here. I have to think. I don't have it on your outlines, but in John chapter 5, right at the end of John 5, John 5 is a great passage on the authority of Christ. And Jesus saying, okay, in John 5, and we're going to be hitting on verse 39, but... John the Baptist witnessed of him. He's already been here. He's gone. The works of Christ have been very evident. All the people know about that. Boy, he's got a lot going for him. The very witness of the Father. They don't recognize that. He has the witness of the Scriptures. Look in verse 39, John 5. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They thought they were automatically going into the kingdom because they were Jewish and because they were the leaders and they did all these good things and they were great people. Of all people, the rabbis, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all those guys, they're going into eternal life. He says, it's these that testify about me. He says, you search the Scriptures all right. And you are unwilling to come to Me. I'm here. This is what the Old Testament is about. What's it doing? Pointing. It's a sign that points to the reality of the Messiah. He's there before their eyes. They're talking with Him. And you are unwilling to come to Me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Boy, that's condemning. I have come in My Father's name. There's authority, isn't it? The name. That means authority. A policeman has a badge. What does it mean? He represents authority. He has a uniform. What does it mean? He represents authority. He has it from the Father. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. Moses wrote the law. They're putting everything on Moses, but they don't know what Moses said. They're supposed to be the lawyers of the law. What's the law? The Pentateuch. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. That was what they specialized in and they didn't know God in that. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. That's what it was all about. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you don't believe Him, why would you believe Me? See, they don't really believe Moses. What did they do with Moses and the law and all the writings? They made their own traditions to go along with it. And it made it more comfortable to go along with these than it did the Word of God. They explained the Word of God in man's way. And they brought His Word down, elevated their Word themselves. And now, that made them the top of the religious elite. So whatever they say goes, right? Jesus comes in and turns it all upside down. Do you see what Jesus is doing? We know this is going to get him killed. Stop, Jesus. You're going to get killed. You need to get out of Jerusalem. Well, I'm thankful that somebody didn't usher him out of there. No, there's no way they, they could have. He's doing this because he had to die for me and you. It had to happen, folks. If that didn't happen, we wouldn't be sitting here. We'd be wasting all of our time. It would be absolutely useless if He didn't die and resurrect. That's the heart of the Gospel. 
died for our wicked, evil nature, took it on himself, gave us his righteousness. The great exchange. Now we go to verse 33. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, You know what that is? That's an agnostic. (laughs) That's what agnostics do. They say, I just don't know. Agnostic. Ah, ah means no, negative. Gnostic means no. It means ignorance. We are ignorant of this. Ignore, nor, nor, gnosis. That's really what it means. I'm not trying to put slang words. That's actually how that word evolved. That's what they're ignorant of this. They don't know. Only thing is, they do know. And people who have evidence that's put before them, they're lying when they're saying, first of all, if they're atheists. They're lying. Atheism is a lie. Straight from Satan. And they're saying there is no God and we know all the evidence about that. You can give it to them all you want and give everything and it doesn't matter. Uh, it's a shame, folks. That, that is just a terrible shame. And then somebody will say, well, I'm an agnostic. I just don't know. Well, would you let me talk to you about Jesus Christ? Oh no, I, I would. I've heard all about that. I don't really want to hear that. I, I just don't know, though. You know, so they're in a middle ground. They think, you know, I'm not going to say anything. All you have to do is blow that away, or to blow atheism away. You can say, do you know everything? Do you know everything? Is there a possibility that there could be one, and you're, and you're missing it? And they'll say, do you know everything? If you know everything, then that means there is, you know, no God. Well, of course they can't say that. You've just blown them away, an atheist, because they don't know everything. They can't even begin to know half the knowledge of the world, or 20%, or 10%, or 5%, or even 1% of all the world that's ever been around. An agnostic, uh, you can say, okay, if you don't know, would you like to know? I mean, that's pretty fair if you're saying you don't know. Let's let's take it there. Uh, and then you can start giving evidence. I, I'm not going to go all into that today, but uh, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Believe while the light is here. For the time will come when the light is going to be taken. Of course, Jesus is talking about Himself. He'll say that later about God has said this before, my spirit will not always strive with mankind. And he brought on the judgment of the flood. The light is there. You better take it while it's there because you don't know any moment that light can be taken out. So, what Jesus does is, this is incredible. He has authority, right? He's going to be dying, then resurrecting, but then ascending. And he's not going to be walking the earth like he has been. The disciples are there and they're going to feel like orphans. But he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Don't you like that? We're not orphans. We know who takes care of us. And in Luke 9, he says he gives them authority over demons and over disease and authority to proclaim the kingdom of God. And that's what He left them to spread the gospel with. They wielded the same kind of power that He had. He delegated it to them. And He had the authority to preach. He's going to give them the authority to preach the truth of the kingdom. In Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, uh, most of you are probably very familiar with this, right at the end of His life here, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. He gave them the authority, a delegated authority from Jesus Christ, God Himself. Look in Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. Quite remarkable that he would give authority to men. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him 
I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my Father, and I'll give him the morning star, he has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's the one with the authority of again that we find in Revelation. Because of his authority, his authority, he is the head of the church, but he gives it to the people that are walking here on earth today as believers. Now, that's quite remarkable. God says to you, speak what I speak. He tells the disciples, speak what is revealed to you. And you know what? What I speak from this pulpit here today, I would pray. And I would say that it has been this scripture, not my own thoughts, not my own ideas I put them forth, but this word here is revealed from God, this very written word right here. I'm not proclaiming anything special myself, but I in that is the authority. The authority of the Word of God. I'm not you know, I'm not able to say truly, I say unto you, but I say, here's what the Lord says, right? It's not. Here's what I think, here's my opinion. No, here's what God says. And you know what? I want to say that my whole life long. I can talk about little things that's going on in the world. And some of you know, it's it's good to be able to talk about those things, but you know, I don't want to stay on that very long. Even the sports thing. I love sports. You guys know how much I love sports, I love music, I'll talk about those things. But you've probably noticed I don't like to stay on the topic very long at all. Because the more that you talk about yourself, the things that you're interested in, and those good that's 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 how people get together and they talk. But eventually, you know where where you really want that to go? You can't be in error. When you're talking about God, when you're talking about yourself, all of a sudden it's, it starts to become a thing about me, how important I am. And so when we gather, it's, it's good to know those things. Don't say that, hey, we, we shouldn't talk anything except we're, we're reading the Word of God. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I want it to get it to where this is because this is really where it's really ultimately at. Here's where it's based. And you know what? That's true for you guys too. Because you love to talk about God's word. Hey, here's here's my take on this. What do you think? You know, I'm not know if I'm getting this correctly. Well, have you thought about this, Pat? No, I haven't. That's pretty tough. Let's delve into that. You know, let's check into that and let's get back with each other and see what you know what you come up with. You know, I think that's fascinating when you start talking about the deeper things of God. The small things, small talk is good, and we need it. it certainly is. It's a great thing, and hopefully, it'll lead into bigger things. Right. The Father has authority. The Father gives authority to the Son. The Son delegates it to the apostles. And the Son delegates it to all the ones who are in the kingdom. We have the authority of the Word of God. We have the authority to go and proclaim this gospel, this truth, to all the people in the world. And you know what? Some people it will affect. You never know what it's going to do. We can't convince them. We don't even have to do that. We just give them truth and let it go from there because God's Spirit is the one that's going to work on them. Holy Spirit plays an incredible role with the Word of God, doesn't He? With the will of the Father. You see how the triune God works in all this? As He works in our lives, as we take a meaning from Scripture. Now we get to application. This is real quick. Here's what we're arriving at. I've kind of already said it. But honestly, you know, as people... Naturally, we don't like it when people interfere in our lives. How many people really like it when people start interfering in your life? Things are just going right along, and you like it when you're by yourself and you don't have to deal with anything or anybody. People can demand attention. They can tell us what to do spiritually, personally, private things. We like to think we are captain of our souls. Well, the book of Mark has proven to be very unsettling to me. It's not comfortable because we are people on this earth who do not know all the things of God. And when Jesus interferes in our lives, at first, when we don't believe in Him, and then He comes in and He enlightens us, aren't you thankful that He came and interfered in your life? Because you were doing the things that you knew what to do best wasn't doing too good. 
I don't even like it. But this is what I do. This is me. Mark 8, he calls us to deny ourselves. Take up the cross, follow him. Does Jesus have the right to interfere in that kind of way? Oh, you want to follow me? Take up the cross. Follow me. Forget yourself. Boy, that's really coming in. He exposes his hypocrisy. You know, we all have hypocrisy in our lives. It's easy to peek on these guys, the Pharisees and such. We have hypocrisy. He challenges our little traditions that we build in our own minds, the way that things ought to be, our little religious traditions and all those things that have been built up. And <laughs> truth is, when we follow Christ, we're under His absolute authority, not our authority anymore. Our lives are His. We are not our own. He owns us. He created us. He already owned us before, but when He chooses us and He brings us out of the bondage of sin and death and hell, Satan, when He brings us out of that, buys us, redeems us, He becomes our Master, our Lord, our King. We don't know that in the Western world. We know about democracy. But God's kingdom is where there's a king. And He rules. He's Lord. He's Master. We don't have a right to hide ourselves from God. I'll just lay up over here and not be seen. And everything will be just fine. Because I have a difficulty with people. That's just the way it is. It's, you don't know me. You just got to take me the way that I am. I go out in the woods and I worship God. We give up everything about ourselves to serve our Creator and His people. We're not to live for ourselves, for our comfort. Because it's not about our comfort, is it? You guys catch what I mean? It's not about our comfort. It's about following Him at all costs. He's interfered in my life. He keeps interfering. And I get into the Word of God and I go, Oh, really, Lord? Here's another place. Look, if we want to know where our authority comes from, it's because we obey God's will. If we obey God and we desire to follow Him, we're on the right track, that's where He wants us. And we're following His leadership because we know He's right. Sometimes we get up the path. He says, over here. Hey, over here. (laughs) He'll get us back on the path. It's His will. And you know what? He reveals Himself in His Word. I'm so thankful for that. Aren't you guys too? It is comforting. Whenever I say uncomfortable, when you know who the Master is, it gives us all the comfort now because He is sovereign in all things and He's not going to do a thing to harm us. He's going to do everything for us. And He's going to make everything work together for good. Man, that is comforting in that sense, isn't it? You know what? You want to know the truth? He'll keep showing you truth. And sometimes you have to dig a little bit more than you did before because He likes you to dig and when you discover it, it's worth more than it ever was before. You know what? It's a beautiful thing. And there's plenty of truths right here. That's a little bit of application. Not to make us uncomfortable, but really, finally, to come back around and saying, you know what? If you're His and you're forgiven... Look at what He has planned and He has purposed for your life and it's going to work great. He's my sovereign. He is my master. He is sovereign Lord from the start of salvation all the way to right into the very eternal kingdom of God that we so look to. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. We thank You for our Master, our Lord, our very authority. We here in this nation have problems with authority and submission. But when we see it laid out in Scripture the way that it ought to be, it's just like we just kind of fall into place in that. And we realize that I don't have to fight against God. He's got the best thing for me. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for that truth. And I'm glad that no man has the authority in the kingdom. 
but you do. Thank you for giving us the authority that we have to proclaim your truth here, right here in the world today. And it's by your Spirit, your very Word, that we have. And we can know truth and we can give it out. Thank you for these people today, special, special people, as we've just gathered together to give thanksgiving to you. In your Son's name, amen.